Welcome to the Cyber Nation Uncensored Podcast. We welcome all Chumbas, Edge Runners, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, Spice Traders, and Space Folders. Thanks for joining us. Please give us a great review and also be sure to join us on both YouTube and Twitch. We'd love to see you on a live stream. Thanks again. See you soon. again another episode of the forlorn dopes with your hosts cyber smiley and wisdom i hope greetings programs i hope everyone's having a good night if our audio is a little too screwy let us know in the chat um, we will fix it asap or i will fix it asap yeah. There always seems to be something weird going on there. Yeah. I'm not a... Sounds audio, fine. ...audio technician, so... I'm not sure if you're coming in a little too loud or I'm coming in a little too soft, but <clears throat> I will try to speak closer to the mic as well as turn uh, Wisdom's mics down. So, um, this week, we can start off with the big, big news... And I'm going to try to share my screen. Wrong screen. And this screen. Exciting news. Oh, it's exciting. So, CDPR and their infinite wisdom decided to uh, broadcast their strategy update about the long-term goals for what they want to do with the studio and also with their uh, IPs. So they actually put out uh, several videos on their YouTube channel, um, as well as did some live streaming uh, to discuss their their future plans. There is some documentation that is out there if you prefer to read documentation as opposed to watching videos. Uh, There's this PowerPoint presentation um, in which they slowly go through... I assume to the uh, stakeholders of who they are, what they are, what they're about. Um, of course, their corporate motto, our purpose, as all good corporations should have. And then they talk about a little bit about their IPs, um, you know, tooting their own horn, which is always a good thing. <coughs> and then, uh, toot, toot. yeah, toot toot away. Then we have their transformation and growth updated since quarter one of this year. So 
they talked about their development, um, the introduction of the Unreal Engine, uh, the rollout of their Agile methodology. Uh, if you don't know what Agile is, it is <clears throat> a type of way of doing projects um, that allows you to kind of do an iterative process to push out features and continually to grow. And of course, through that continual growth, there's also going to be continual mistakes, but you learn from those mistakes and continue on moving. Um, the other concept of Agile is what's called a cross-functional team, which means not only are you going to have developers working closely, you're going to have you know the various developers. So the engineers of the um, of the engine, uh, the infrastructure guys, testers, all going to be working together, as opposed to a lot of computer companies. What they do is is the other methodology is usually called waterfall in which each team does their own thing and they really don't talk amongst themselves. They kind of like throw it over the wall and they expect, you know, that other team to do things. But <coughs> agile is all about, we're all one big team and, and get stuff done. Um, other big news was the new uh, acquisitions in North America, uh, a little bit of their changing of the board. Um, Expanding the franchise through exploration of new fields and mediums. Uh, we'll get a little bit later to that. Uh, further support of Cyberpunk 2077 by adding substantial updates and its new-gen version. <coughs> Which I find really interesting that they put that there. So I think they're, they're trying to flag to the stakeholders that, yeah, the launch of 2077 was a big screw-up. But we are still... Cyberpunk is I mean, still a big IP for them. Honestly, it was, I'm 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 under the impression that it was the stockholders that caused the early launch, uh, pressing for you know get this game out. Um, um so it's all hy hypo uh, hypothesis of what actually right. Nobody's going to come out and say that shit. <coughs> uh, well, but we, yeah, we we know some things, right? One marketing was push, push, push. Which of course stressed yeah. the board to push, 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 which is upper management. Then you have the shareholders who are also well. The shareholders really don't have too much except the senior shareholders um, on that push. Uh, there was uh, a dropping of the ball from the managers of the developers, and you know the developers telling them, "Hey, this isn't ready. This isn't ready." And managers are, "Hey, this is getting ready." They also had the QA teams who also dropped the ball, um, even though they were reported that it was all good. And my thinking is there also might have been some tie-up with the licensing from Altar Sarian to release in 2020, right? Um, uh, you know, that makes sense. I, I think mean... I've said this before is, you know, they promoted this game back in 2013 that they were going to do that. And I think... The Witcher 3 and how big it was, they didn't. They probably thought Witcher 3 was going to be big, but the problem was their A team worked on Witcher 3. And the assumption, I yeah. think, was that, you know, once Witcher 3 hit, the DLCs and the expansions were going to be handled by, you know, another team. And then those A game guys were going to switch completely over to Cyberpunk 2077 and, and run with it. However, I don't think that's what happened. So I think it was just a perfect storm of poor planning on the manager's site 
as well as um you know this this really unrealistic unre push to get things done and i think the introduction of Keanu kind of threw them for a loop because as far as I yeah, understood, that was another, yeah, it came it, in late. That was a late. Which and, means uh, they had basically to they had to everything. design the game around. Yeah. Um, it, changed the, it changed the story of what we were seeing up until they announced him dramatically. Yep. And, of course, the big news is parallel AAA development starting in 2022. Um, 2022. Well, I mean, the really, really big news is uh, the announcement of a sequel. Yes. <clears throat> so I'm going to just quickly like, go I don't, through. I don't put that off any longer. Project yeah. Orion, the cyberpunk game. I mean, I, I, I'm, I've been dying to talk about this since they announced it i am i am so excited that the franchise is going to live on uh I, I i i don't know how to contain myself about this really i'm giddy like a schoolgirl. <laughs> yeah well first we need phantom liberty um which yep. is going to be a very big expansion from what they've been saying that they consider from the history of like the witcher expansions even their smallest one was almost like a, a small triple A game, and then uh, uh, Blood and Wine—I I think that was the name of it—was humongous. Yep. I don't know if we're going to be getting anything that big, but we can expect at least something very substantial. I, I think we are going to get something that big because. Um, so this is again. I'm showing you the um, PowerPoint, and I'll, I'll flip back and forth between some of these. There is also a longer um, document that gets into a little bit more of the details within that PowerPoint, um, which they kind of stress out what each kind of PowerPoint page meant. Um, I assume mm, eh, it's not that long, but and then there was a call transcript. So the call the the call transcript. Um, and again, all these you can get from uh, CD Projekt Red. Um, the the call transcript is where the actual shareholders had questions uh, about some of the stuff that was presented. And this is where you actually get a little more depth into what they're doing. And I think one of the questions that, that came up and they, they talked about was the expansion. And I forget who... Who said it? If it was, um, uh, I forget who, who it was, but basically Adam, I think, mentioned it. And again, you can read it, read it from him here, is that basically the expansion is equal to a full-blown uh, AAA game. So I think it's going to yeah. be just as big as Cyberpunk launch was, possibly even bigger. It nice be bigger. I mean, we'll see. <clears throat> so talking about putting out a uh, another update uh, where it improves the cops AI and and driving and yep. things of that nature, and that seems to be pretty big as well. Uh, yeah. I'm. I. I mean, I'm just happy that the game is getting a second life and it's getting the attention it deserves 
Um, I think a lot of people are coming back to the game due to the anime. And, well, I mean, we know that that's happening. And basically all the negative hype, uh, like, they don't have anything to bitch about anymore. Yes, there are still some features that, you know, they had promised for a long time were going to be in the game. But they told us before the game came out that those features were no longer viable. And they've been slowly introducing some of those non-viable features into the game with updates. So really, it's just a fantastic game. I don't, I don't know what people are complaining about anymore. They've also hired a lot of the modders, uh, a lot yeah. of the popular modders, popular mods for the game, such as third person, uh, vehicle combat and a few others, those people were actually brought into the studio and started working on that. So I think they've been concentrating on getting that going. <coughs> of course, now what they have to yeah, do is... Doesn't happen more often, like, I don't... Because I play on the PlayStation, uh, I'm a console gamer, I don't get to see the mods very often. Uh, just videos of them on, on YouTube and whatnot, but... Like, I don't know why more game studios don't just, like, embrace the modders and, like, hire them. Like, oh, my God, you're doing this with our game. This is amazing. Well, it depends uh, on the studio, right? CD Projekt Red does that. Um, I think No Man's Sky, whoever creates that. Not a- Bethesda did it for uh, Fallout 4. Um, they didn't necessarily hire the modders on. Well, I'm sure they did, but they made mods available on console and that was that was pretty nice yep um <clears throat> there's there's a couple things i just wanted to point out in these powerpoint um i know you kind of jumped the gun a little so we with yeah, each slide sorry, I, can't, I can't hold it back any longer well with each slide they talk about the various projects they're doing right um the current in-flight one that's heading into production or his final production phase is Phantom Liberty. So final production phase to me screams that this is coming out maybe Q1, Q2 of next year. Um, I mean, that's, that's always been the popular opinion is we'd probably get it around February. So fingers crossed again. Crossed. <laughs> Make sure it's you know fully tested and all the bugs are f- resolved and it's a good a good launch because I think this is their redemption release. Yeah, I um, mean it's it's fulfilling a lot of people's uh, expectations and for the people like us who've you know enjoyed the game from the start, uh, it's it's. Just icing on a on a fucking cake at this point. Yeah, and then there's three projects around Witcher. Uh, when you see these three projects, I think there's some people who get confused. It's like, oh, we have to wait for these three projects to finish before we'll start seeing Cyberpunk. Uh, that's not really true. Um, Project uh, Sirius is actually going to be Molasses Flood with some of CDPR support, right? So that is a standalone game. Molasses Flood is doing all the development work on it. So that's kind of paralleled, right, to to what CDPR is. I mean, 
from what I understand, like CDPR has assigned like 350 people of their 350 of their employees to work on Cyberpunk uh, with the various projects, and that is a yeah. large portion of their of their workforce. Um, I don't know what the breakdown of that 350 people are. How many of them are developers? How many of them are programmers? Uh, and whatnot, but well, like that's a significant workforce. Well, so currently there's 350 peop- employees involved. Um, if you actually go into the transcripts, let me see if I can find it. I think it was like 800. Right. Um, so we're constantly looking for talented developers. We have to. We have to grow. So that's their statement. Um, the group currently employs 1,200 people, including nearly 800 developers, but this includes the GOG, GOG developers. We have over 700 developers at our studio. Those are developers working on the games game itself. I'm not ready to talk about target headcount, but for sure our North America teams will grow, and we will also expand our European forces. Our ambitious plans are based on the assumption that we'll keep growing our creative teams. Um, so <clears throat> this I mean, kind of, all- yeah, and this kind of ties into what they were talking about with these projects. So so Project Polaris, which is the next version of or the next Witcher trilogy, right? Their expectation is they're going to have the first game come out. And once that comes out, the next two games are going to be available within the next six years. If that's the case, they cannot support all you know having one team just do development work it's going to be multiple teams supporting each ip so if you hear anybody rumor oh you're not going to see the sequel to cyberpunk for another 10 years is bullshit um because they are and again there was some other points in here that i want to cover but in here if you go to uh a question in which they were talking about boston so they're opening a new studio in Boston. Um, our North America consists of a team working from Boston and the existing Vancouver team. The project will support by the developers and I believe the best reference point is our most recent release, 20 cents, if to assume. Uh, no, not that question. Where's the other one? So this is talking about uh, molasses. I know they mentioned something. It was really key. Well, I mean... But basically... They're going to be... They're going to be working on the games in parallel. Their studio is large enough now to support that. I imagine when crunch time hits for either for either project, like people get traded back and forth. That's just what happens. It, but uh, the answer that Adam gave around the the North America was that North America is going to concentrate on doing cyberpunk, which I assume I mean, means Poland and Krakow. Well, the two <laughs> the two teams in in Poland. They're going to be concentrating more on Witcher and the third IP that they're working on. So I think 
probably in the next five to six years we will see the sequel to Cyberpunk uh, once they build out the North American team. And again, I forget which question they answered with that answer that that basically highlighted that Vancouver and Boston are going to be concentrating on Cyberpunk. Um, the other good thing about the North American Boston is that uh, Sachin, is that his name? Paolo? I mean, those the Polish names. I right. I recognize them when I see them, but I can't pronounce a lot of them. Um, the guy who Not, does, I probably could, but I don't want to insult anybody by mispronouncing their names. That's always <coughs> there. He is perfect. Um. Powell Sasko. That's it, Sasko, not Sachin. Oh, yes. Powell Sasko is going to be leading the Boston team, and he's actually moving over here to the States, um, which is cool because that means they're only like about two, three-hour drive from me. So I might go. Yeah, I'm assuming assuming that name is actually Pavel. Pavel, yeah. Uh, W's and V's. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so um that's to me good news because he loves Cyberpunk and I think it's going to be in good hands with him. Um the other thing from the various slides that they showed, right? They they talk about The Witcher 1 being a story-driven open-world RPG. The Canis Majoris is a story-driven single-player open RPG. And then Project Orion Cyberpunk 27 sequel that will prove the full power and potential of the Cyberpunk universe. So, I mean, that, that's a pretty big freaking statement right there. Uh, but they're switching to Unreal Engines. Well, also, Means. you know, that statement also tells me they're not saying it's story driven. They're not saying it's single player. And to me, story-driven means you're playing a specific character that they create for you. So, my thinking is, and again, this is just my thinking and my opinion, is that this is going to be a lot more of what I think our community thought about the game back in 2013. Oh, you're going to have these various roles, and they're going to have these various special abilities that they have. Um... You're going to be able to name your character the way you want. You're going to be able to play the character you, the way you want and not be forced into a narrative uh, that the current system that, is. Yeah. And I think that's uh, where it's going to be multiplayer. I tried to sell them on an idea where you had multiple roles and each role had its own story, but they all interconnected. And I had like a I had like a flow chart for how this would all actually work. Um, that was my dream is something like that. Uh, whether this is the direct the, the direction they're going even remotely re- resembles that or not, uh, I know it could be done. Um, of course, that's just me tooting my own horn and rather blown against the wind right there. I'm just talking smoke, but. Yeah, I'm very excited about this idea. I'm very... I'm just so happy that we're, we're getting a sequel. 
And the fact that they're talking about multiplayer, I'm hoping that means cooperative and not PvP, because God knows, like, they ruin so many games by just throwing PvP in there for no reason. Why does Uncharted have a PvP thing? Well, Why does Tomb Raider? Like, they might do a PvP yeah. in that you have gang affiliates and, and corporate, corporate affiliates, right? So you're affiliated to a gang. And if you come across a rival gang, that allows you to do some PvP. It also could be that you only can do PvP in the combat zone, right? I mean, um, I don't care if there is PvP. I don't care if you can shoot other players in the game. Like, like the GTA model, I, don't, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, maybe tone it down a little or have, you know, friendly lobbies where it doesn't turn into the chaos that is a GTA lobby. Um. But at its heart, I think the multiplayer should be cooperative. You should be able to get together with your friends and play the game uh, so it feels like playing the tabletop, just in the sense that, hey, all my friends are here. We're sharing this experience. Yeah. And we'll see um, how that goes, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's my <laughs> hope. That, that, that's, that's my desire. Um, I don't think like Fallout got a really good multiplayer. Fallout seventy six, it the the game sucked for a long time, but now it's it's got a at least in the in the way that players interact with each other. I I quite enjoy that. Yeah, and and I think you're not going to get the f- apples to apples experience. I mean, there, there's always going to have to be some give and take between the various rule set, but that, like you said, a cooperative play, you have very specific roles with very specific abilities, and, and that's their, um, that's their shtick, right? Because, like, if you look at certain uh, other massive uh, RPGs, multiplayer RPGs, like World of Warcraft, in the beginning, you had a very distinct role with with each character and especially in the party however you know as iterations continued with world of warcraft they became okay I, i'm a warrior and i can still heal i'm going to be able to heal myself i'm going to be you know do all the stuff that other specific roles were supposed to do and eventually it became okay doesn't really matter what role you are you're going to be able to do whatever you need to do and i think that's kind of true with Dungeons and Dragons too is that you know every class has a spell um, so I hope that they do not go down that path honestly there are some roles that while they work really well in a in a tabletop setting I'm not sure how you would implement them in a video game to the same degree that you can implement implement the combat-based characters. Right, like uh, fixer. Like nomads, solos. Yeah, those are easy. But then you get fixers or, you know, corporates. And how, how do you actually... I guess corporates could maybe call in, like, support from other... Like, they can call in a, a hit squad or something. Uh, or requisition vehicles, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know how you would do a fixer. Um, well, the fixer would like, be the opposite of that. The fixer would be more gang-related, you know, underworld. 
and called. Sure, maybe they gang up. goods as well. Yep. Uh, I mean, there are ways to do it. I just really, I just, I just want more cyberpunk. That's that's it. I yep. want the IP to continue. I want it to be updated regularly, and I want to get the most out of it for as long as I possibly can. Yep. And the other slide is the expanding into TV and film, which I think has been on the screen for the past five, ten minutes. Um, so they kind of showed with edge runners that it can be done. So I think that avenue is still going, uh, and we're going to start seeing more media. Uh, and that's kind of the end of this slide, because in one of the previous slides, they kind of go through the video game RIP. Right, and they show you the cycle of film and TV, mobile games, books and comics. I see some novels do, and then partnerships and other merchandise. <clears throat> so it's going to be very interesting to see how how this starts working. Um, and again, you know, cyberpunk is not going away. Uh, it's 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 crazy to me before before the video came out or video game came out. Uh, I wanted to have as complete a collection of video game merchandise as I did for the tabletop role-playing game. I mean, I've got just about... There are like a few small key items, like a Nathan Never source book. I've never been able to find a print copy of that. Um, but with the video game, like as soon as it came out, the merchant, even before it came out, the merchandise just fucking exploded it's impossible to collect all that shit uh so the idea that we're getting like the comic books the video game the anime and now we're getting they're talking about more uh like visual media more more shows more t more movies books i'm just i'm overwhelmed with glee that's that's the way I want to put that. Right. <clears throat> yeah, so um, I just posted all the links to those documents, so if you want to read them, by all means. Again, there's tons of videos on CDPR's uh, YouTube channel uh, going over kind of most of these points. Go watch them, learn them. Um, yeah, and uh, exciting times. Um, <clears throat> other cyberpunk things is, what's today, the 5th, so in a little over two weeks, uh, the peripheral is going to premiere on Amazon Prime. Uh, the peripheral is going to be a, a series uh, based on William Gibson's uh, novel. Hopefully they might do the trilogy, which would be really cool. Indeed. I mean, if the, if the series takes off, it'll... We should see some good stuff. Uh, and if it's anywhere near as good as it looks, we should see some good stuff. Yep. <clears throat> so, um, well, that's how you, uh, so Rob's pushing out our, our links. <laughs> Thank you, Moobot. Thank you, Rob. Moobot. All right. 
Um, anything else? I'm trying to think. Oh, Altarsurian was looking for some playtesters. However, it looks like uh, Jaguar just posted uh, a CC yeah, system not for volunteers. Well, it's for all their games, right? To, to test all their games. Well, I mean, he very specifically said this is not for Cyberpunk. Oh, these playtests are not for Cyberpunk. So I would imagine it's either a Witcher thing or that weird West cowboy thing that they've got going. Or maybe a new version of Mechtown. Or Fal- Castle or, Frank- Frankenstein. Or Castle Fal- uh, yeah, I mean, it could be... All we know is not Cyberpunk. But they put in lots of good games, though. So. Ooh, wouldn't it be neat to see an updated version of Teenagers from Outer Space? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure how well that would have run now, but uh, it was it was fun back in the day. And uh, let's see other news. Um... I didn't put out any enhancements to my site, but I did do some uh, bug fixes on a, a few things. Uh, what is it? An issue with some of the skills on the Cyberpunk 2020 uh, character generator. Um, fix. Oh, I fixed your uh, UI. <clears throat> Sorry. An Interoc Unlimited uh, RT calcula- calculations on the sheet, so if you do use it as the U- IU, the calculations you, should be correct. Um, <clears throat> I did a minor fix to Maximum Metal, uh, that generator, because the stealth armor and the damage control wasn't calculating the cost correctly. And then finally, I fixed a bug, which apparently was out there for a little while, which someone reported it sooner, on the NetArc site, uh, in which you can uh, save the site, or sorry, the architect to what's called JSON file that you can upload later and do modifications to. So I fixed that. You should be all set with that. Uh, I got a few other bugs I'm trying to get addressed. Um, some minor uh, adjustments to the character sheet for Cyberpunk 2020. Um, the other thing is I'm, I'm kind of debating whether to go full with the Cyberpunk Red uh, character sheet, uh, mainly because I know Red Companion, they're creating a, a website to do all that stuff. So I might be out of a jab when it comes to Red. So, I mean, the online apps, they can, they can really, they can change the audience. Like before uh, Dungeons and Dragons Beyond, I didn't, I, I hated playing D&D. Uh, I mean, I liked the, the stories. I liked playing with my friends, <coughs> but character sheets were a pain in the ass. Creating characters was a pain in the ass. D&D Beyond makes that shit super easy. Uh, and if they're trying to do the same thing with Cyberpunk, oh man, you're going to see record numbers. Yep. And, and you know, I think oh, the, I the licensing between Red Companion and Artosaurine is there. I've kind of always been a bit of a, a free guy, so I've just used the homebrew rules. 
um, because I pay, I put, push the savings on to my users. Um, yeah. And again, you know, kudos to them. Uh, I think you're going to see a yeah. lot more uh, digital presence with Cyberpunk Red um, through the Red Companion. So. Yeah, sadly, it won't. It won't be a much benefit to me. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep using Interlock Unlimited. That's that's. It, it does what I want. That's what I wrote it to do. Right. <clears throat> so, um, that's about our pre-show ramble on various things that are happening within Cyberpunk. I don't think there's too many other things that I know about. Um. I haven't heard of any new movies or other series coming out. Yeah, nothing nothing particularly cyberpunk noteworthy. I don't think Dark Horse has announced any new cyberpunk comics coming out either. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know how popular it is, but I know they've lost quite a few of their major franchises. Uh, Aliens, Predator, Conan... Um, Terminator. So I know, I know they've got to be scrambling, and Cyberpunk seems to have been a fairly successful uh, property for them, judging by the amount of miniseries they have put out. Yep. So hopefully that will continue, especially in the wake of the success of Edge Runners, and of course the new DLC coming out, like. I can't imagine they wouldn't continue with the franchise. I hope so. Um, but again, I haven't seen anything out there. What is this? Parasomnia. What are we talking about? Uh, a series from Dark Horse. Uh, the Nightmare of Breakout series, Parasomnia, returns and... Oh, that's that's a supernatural yeah. um, ghosts and psychics type ah, thing. I see. Because one of the covers bad. looks very uh, cyberpunky. Yeah, you get fooled with that a lot. You can't always tell a book by its cover. No, no. All right, so you want to get into uh, the topic of this evening, which is going to be uh, Solo of Fortune 2. Because I know we were supposed I to mean, do it last time and uh, kind of got sidetracked. Yeah. We uh, Edge Runners came out. That that took all of our attention. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's get into Solo of Fortune 2. Uh Right away, I'm going to point out that the cover is a photograph, and it's a photograph of my good friend Ross Spike Wynn, uh, one of the uh, one of the recurring authors of Cyberpunk 2020 official material, part of uh, Mike Pondsmith's original gaming group, I believe. We need to track him down and get our get him on our show. <coughs> if he's still you know, interested. I meant to. Yeah, I meant to see if he wanted to do it, but based on his Facebook timeline recently, he's had some major events going on. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't want to. Yeah. Man. Um, I get that. 
also because of last week's uh, Edge Runner thing, it kind of threw our schedule into a mix. I didn't know True. if we for sure were gonna when we for sure we're gonna do the Solo Fortune two. Right. Um, but yeah, he's a good guy. He's he was the first uh, the first Artalsorian writer, like official writer that I, I really befriended. Uh, and for a while he kind of, I don't know if taking me under his wing is the right word, but he was always there for advice and, uh, you know, lend an opinion. Yep. So <clears throat> this book, um, has quite a few authors. Uh, you have Scott Taylor, Ross Wynn, Craig Sheely, Benjamin Wright, a lot of the, the, the usual suspects, yeah. uh, Will Moss, uh, Mike Laboser, Labosire. I, I think that might be spelled wrong. I, I thought it was Labossier, but Labossier. Um, <coughs> I, 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 I could be wrong. I just, for some reason, that's, I, that's how I thought I'd seen it in the past. Yeah, I'm, I'm not cultured enough to pronounce names <laughs> accurately. Uh, We've also got writing contributions from uh, Scott Ruggles, Mike Roeder, Michael Todd, uh, Les Connors, Stephen Schultz, and uh, Jean Ringuet. That's, that's how I think that's pronounced. Uh, it's either that or Ringuet. I don't know. I don't think it's Ringuet. <laughs> it looks very, very French, so. Yep. Um. Yeah, so the the Ford is by uh, Derek Quint- Quintanar. Um, uh, Quintanar. Yeah. Quintana. Quintana. So I've been to him, so I'm not sure if you how he actually pronounced that, but put a southern draw on it. Quintana. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is this book's uh, like almost almost to the gr- the degree that. Uh, listen up your primitive screwheads is this this has got contributions from a lot of the the top people working with uh with our child at the time and like both in writing and in art yep it is weird that uh chris hawk about uh doesn't provide any of the art in here he was he was kind of their go-to guy for a lot of their books um but you do see familiar names, uh, in particular uh, Scott Ruggles and Patrick Godaro, who uh, like both of their work is just fantastic. Like Godaro's character portraits. Um, he also did a lot of the work for uh, Firestorm Stormfront and or the Firestorm books and the uh, home of the or land of the free supplement uh the uh campaign um he's got a very distinctive style and i uh often have trouble uh distinguishing his style from uh hawkabouts although as it got pointed out to me recently uh by hawkabout uh which was his and which wasn't it's become much more apparent to me um, that's me getting off on a rant. I apologize. Uh, we've got several other other artists who have, who have worked on the book. Uh, Dan Smith, Malcolm He, uh, who Malcolm He is a like he went on to do comics. 
Um, I I, I want to say he worked for Aircell. Uh, I don't know what he's doing nowadays, but I know he worked in comics for a while. Uh, Josh Hoops, John Matson, uh, David Fuden, Mike Jackson. Uh, Mike Jackson also uh, has done, or at least did, was uh, pretty popular at the time. Um, and Sam Liu, Sam, you see his work other places too. It's he's he's one of the the bigger names in the book. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and after the intro from uh, Derek, there's actually a very small print. Um, you think it's Derek probably no, not yeah. me, by the way. Don't want to confuse anybody. I, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, we forgot you're Derek, but you're Derek with a C, yeah. not with a K. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Derek with the way that nobody else in the world spells that shit. <laughs> but there's a little blurb that I just noticed. I think I've had this book for God knows how long, and I just noticed. Uh, the small print and, and the craziness he's talking about. Um, so Solar Fortune is a magazine is an environmentally unfriendly product. Nothing has been recycled except ammunition. Everything in this magazine has been done by trained professionals. Kids, please check with your parents before you do this at home. Um, and then there's some pretty other funny statements in that, so... I'll leave that for... I, uh, I, name of the Prairie Dogs. Uh, well, the other <laughs> thing is really... next uh, next issue, Naked Solo. Um, yeah, I remember seeing... Uh, oh, I, I forget who did it. The but sites, there was a website. Yeah, Militech. Yeah, put... Militech calendar or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, where they actually like made a mock-up of the Naked Solo of Fortune issue. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, that was in the nineties though. I don't know that, I don't know that that would fly so well these days. I, I would still enjoy it cause I'm a dirty old pervert at heart, but, um, well, yeah, uh, it's good humor. I think some of them were pretty, pretty out there, but basically it was just pictures of girls with guns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> scantily clad girls with guns as it were. Um, which I'm sure the solo or soldier of fortune probably had some of those images in it <coughs> yeah i tried to uh i tried to archive that but i think most of the images were were lost mm -hmm. uh and the wayback machine did not want to bring them back damn you peabody yeah yeah um Again, this is formatted in a magazine, so you have letters from the readers and the editor responding to them. Um, there are a few uh, funny ones in here. You should uh, definitely read. Um, and then it gets into an article around a international shootout. Um, which like a competition type thing. Like a competition type of thing. And uh, it's a good read. It's it's very much done in the style that, like, I mean, the whole magazine is a riff 
for the whole source book is a riff on like Soldier of Fortune magazine uh, and all the like guns and ammo shit that was like hugely popular in the eighties. Um, like you'd go into a gas station, there'd be more magazines about guns than there were about boobs. Uh, it, it was it was kind of a weird time. I don't I don't know how much of that is is still around because they don't sell magazines in gas stations anymore. Yeah. But yeah, mag well, print is almost dead. I'm afraid. Yeah. <coughs> um, the next is the fully chipped. So. <clears throat> There's uh, more revised rules for mod gun modification, which I think supersedes some of the stuff that was in the original Solo Fortune. Um, Definitely. Such as uh, bigger, it, bigger magazines. Yeah. Like some of the stuff it reprints, but most of it it just completely replaces. Um, with much more coherent rules for customizing your, your firearms and whatnot. Yeah. In this section, <laughs> I would turn certain guns, and like the price of that gun would be almost expensive, as expensive as a high quality uh, cyber deck. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the minute you start like customizing stuff, the price you know skyrockets. Like customizing a car, of course. Then you try and resell that shit, and <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't quite work that way. Just like a car. Well. You pull it from his dull, dead, cold hands, right? <clears throat> That's that. You do it, in fact. Um, the next section is uh, more guns, uh, as well as an ad for some uh, new weapons. Uh, so this 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 particular solo fortune, I think, had a lot more uh, stats and and more game-related um, equipment yeah. and guns than, than the previous it, version. It, it was much more geared towards uh, throwing you extra gear and rules and things like that, whereas the original Solo of Fortune... Uh, I mean, the original Solo of Fortune was a 2013 book, and there wasn't enough material around the game yet to really require this level of, of new goods. Uh, like Rocker Boy, it was just much more into like world lore and uh, oh, the the word escapes my brain right now. Uh, but yeah, just building up building up the world around the character. like And uh, by the time Solo Fortune 2 comes out, the there have been enough expansions to the 2020 universe that they're just all like, well, we can do them both at the same time and just throw this glut of new gear at the players. And it was very well received. Yes. <clears throat> the next chapter is the future of force, which is uh, oh. a look at the present and future of large and small scale conflicts. Uh, I'm wondering if our rendition of combat in 2050. So, so there is a image, and it says there's an artist rendition of combat in the 2050. So I think this still they weren't aware of the coming fourth corporate war. Um, this image is is so very 90s. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's 
you've got that life field influence where there's all the little i don't know uh it's it's very very nice yeah and there's not enough acpas in that image as well (laughs) um but this article goes into a lot of the fluff of uh large-scale and small-scale military actions um so it's definitely useful for if you're if you're doing a fourth corporate war or any war setting uh it really gets into how you would think about the various missions that you would send uh the team on and it does have some more stats for some of the vehicles <coughs> as well as giving some uh, adventure hooks. And I have to hand it to them. They actually did (laughs) maximum metal uh, profiles compared to some supplements. Well, yeah, I mean, the stuff that, most of the stuff that came out after maximum metal adhered to that format. Not Uh, all of it. The (laughs) problem. No, not all of it. But the the big ones, the big ones did. Uh, the problem with the books that came out before that is there was no uniform. You just they just kind of threw stuff willy nilly at you. They'd give you the price, the top speed, and the number of people it held, and the basic armor stats, and then you just kind of had to figure out the rest on your own. <laughs> uh, so regardless of your of your opinions on the way Maximum Metal uh, handled things, at least it gave us a, a standardized format. There was an ACPA I didn't account for in one of my various lists. The Viper. Yeah, it's... Uh... <clears throat> I would have really liked to have seen a better image of the Viper. Um, they make it sound like an upgraded grasshopper, though. Like, it's very much like Bubblegum Price's style hard suit power armor. Yep. But, yeah, I, on my site, I, uh, I think I have uh, stats for all of them. For the, all the APCs, um, ACPAs. Free generators? <clears throat> yeah, my generator. So I thought I combed through all the books, but apparently I did not. So. <clears throat> um, I mean, I. You come across what you come across. Yeah. Very hard to find all the little nooks and crannies that that they have uh, when it comes to gear. Um, but yeah, the article <clears throat> really is, is a, nice to read, and it's a con- there's also a continuation of it, so there's quite a few, uh, few pages to read through. <clears throat> but it definitely gets you thinking towards a military campaign with Cyberpunk. Yeah, I mean, this, this whole book is geared towards... I mean, it's geared towards higher-level games. Uh, you know, espionage takes is a big part of the book. Uh, 
military and mercenary forces. Like this isn't. You can absolutely 100% use it for your street level solo, but your street level solo isn't going to be able to afford most of this. Nor is he going to be able to survive enemies who are geared up this way without being able to afford it himself. Yep. And then you have another ad for some more equipment. Um, I especially like the think bombs. Yeah, the think bombs are really cool. Just in case your solo needs a remote device and you want to do it the cybernetic way as opposed to hitting a button on a remote control. Now, eliminate the button. Keep your hands free for other stuff. Um... Yeah. I like the scan. I like I like the like granted we have those now. Like this is one of those things that that we actually like it came true. But I loved the idea in the 90s that you just your gun was tied to you and you alone. Um Well, I mean, isn't that what Drudge Dread in the comics had originally? Yeah, that's exactly. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what gave him the inspiration for it. Um just like I'm pretty sure that's what gave the real life people who created those the inspiration for it. I mean, if you can't find uh, inspiration with Judge Dredd, you are you are missing out, right? Um, and then we get to the next chapter, which is of course a correspondent who is should be well known to Solo Fortune. That's C.J. O'Reilly. He makes an appearance. Yeah. Throughout- a bunch of supplements in uh <clears throat> in the uh, yeah, Talsorian line. Solo Fortune. Uh I wanna say he's got some he's got a blurb or two in uh uh Home of the Free. Um He does all the interviews he, in the Forlorn Hope. That's true, he does. Uh and I think he's I yeah, he's he's a I mean, he's better known than some of the characters that show up in the, uh, that the video game makes such a big deal out of. Like, Rogue and... (laughs) Thompson. uh, Thompson. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is a great story. Um, I don't think it has too much, uh, specifics on, well... He talks about South America, so I'm sure that helped with your supplements. Yeah, it's, it was a great source of inspiration. Uh, for for the average cyberpunk player, they're not going to get much out of this other than an enjoyable read. Uh, but if you run in South America, it's, it's pretty darn useful. Um, it definitely helped me when I was doing the Conflict South America source book. Um. All these there, there are all these instances where they talk about these other areas of world, uh, other areas of the world being this big deal like hot zone, but they give you almost like you have to hunt and peck and like scratch to find any real information about them at all. Uh, that's canon, but you don't want to whenever you're. Whenever you're creating a source book like that, you don't want to step on the toes of of the official material. 
Right. Uh, you want it to meld together. Uh, in 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 some cases, uh, uh, some of the stuff I wrote is in direct contradiction to some of it, but I tried to keep that very rare. Uh, most of the time when I do, it was deliberate for my own personal story. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's a shame because, you know, the the, the two Southam Wars were, were very pivotal in the history and not yeah, I mean, a lot more influence it because it kind of inspired a lot of the, the solos, right, of the 2020s and the 2013s yeah. where that you were veterans of this, this major war and yet there's not a lot of information about it. I mean, the, the South, the Second South American Conflict, which led to the Long Walk. I mean, these are pivotal moments in in the Cyberpunk twenty twenty timeline, and there's just nothing. So I had to really like expand that stuff myself, just for my own game and my own game's history. So that's what that's how I did the South American source book. But a lot of that information came directly from Solo of Fortune two. Right. And following that article is another uh, advertisement from uh, Midnight Arms. Where's one to impress with some of the equipment on here? Um, the Mono Sword Kane. Eh, I think canes are, are an old fashioned thing, especially with cybernetics. And seeing as you can. <laughs> Strap a katana on your yeah. uh, waistband. Why bother with a cane? Because, I mean, everybody needs a pimp limp. Yeah. Every good fixer needs a pimp limp. True. Uh, uh, plus, you know, I walk with a cane in real life, so sometimes, you know. Yeah. You can't afford that frenetic leg just because you got a messed up hip or something. True, but. If you saw Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, even the poorest of the poor have <laughs> fully augmented arms and, and legs and shit like that. <clears throat> so it's cheap somewhere. Uh, the next section is, of course, Bubba and JT. Well, I mean, there are other characters in twenty seventy seven that are rolling around in wheelchairs, so there's a healthy mix. True. So, Bubba and JT, of course, get into a bunch of gun porn, um, in which they give fluff to various weapons, and there's quite a lot of weapons um, in here. I think one of uh, one of the special ones that everybody loved, at least in my group, <coughs> was the Gamdali. Um, for some reason, a lot of my players would choose that as their pistol of choice. <coughs> I mean, it's a good pistol. And Bubba and JT, they returned from uh, the original Solo of Fortune and where they also did gun porn. Yep. I, I really like the uh, sniper rifle in this game. Um... Because it is, it can be pretty heinous. 
I mean, it's not going to necessarily punch through Metal Gear. Um, but anything lower, there's a good chance you're, you're going to inflict a bunch of damage. Uh, because if it's soft armor, armor, the, the frag flechette means that it's doing 46 flechette damage, which is a quarter a SP. Only for Plus soft. Just yeah, that looks cool. <laughs> I liked the Mustang Arms Mark too. It's 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 nice and compact. It's it only does it's only an eleven millimeter, which is more than enough for you know your street level campaigns. So <clears throat> here's a question: When you read the Mustang uh, two, when you saw the rate of fire of three, was did you say that that was a three round burst, and you got two yes. shots, or you got Three individual shots. Uh, for me, anytime someone has a rate of fire beyond one, that's a handgun. That that signals to me that it's got a, a burst action. Um. Now, granted, with Interlock Unlimited, all handguns pretty much, unless they specifically uh, say that it's only three round burst or whatever, or only fully automatic. Uh, they all have a rate of fire of one, and I will divide it up. Like, if this does have a three-round burst, there'll be a slash, and it'll be one slash three uh, for select fire. But, yeah, in, in in my opinion, anytime you read that it's got a, a rate of fire of three, it's you pull the trigger, and it shoots three rounds, three-round burst. Yeah, well, with my group, we've always seen it as <clears throat> three being kind of the maximum that you can get three shots, because... If you look at the gun modifiers, right, or the gun customization, you know, there's one, and I forget which one it is, that you can actually bump up the rate of fire by one. So, for example, the Mustang Close Control 20 on the same page has a rate of fire of two. Well, that bumps it up to three. Now, is that a three-round burst, or is it you get three shots with it? So our my group has been through the common consensus that you get three three shots, right? Um, and it's not semi-automatic. Well, it is semi-automatic, but you know what I'm saying. There's not a three-round burst toggle. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Uh, with rules as written, that's that's probably how they meant it. Um, but with IU, where you can, where it's got rules for, you know, if you're more skilled, you can get off more shots. Uh, for me, that just defaults to it being a three-round burst. Right. So I'm really, I'm really going off grid or off uh, off trail with this, with because I do use Interlock Unlimited. Um, but that was that's just how I handle it. Yep. <clears throat> but teach their own, you know. <laughs> Uh, the, this section finally ends with, I think, something that my players loved, which was the plasmatics, uh, in the ET oh, guns. Yeah. Well, they're ET guns, so you're, you're pushing out, you know, 66 with a handgun. Yeah, um, I mean, 
if you can get some electrothermal action, uh, a lot of the GMs back in the day felt that that was too powerful. I, I embraced it. Um, I embraced it too. If you're, if they, they're walking around with, you know, 20 plus SP, I have no problem yeah. with someone, some ganger packing a, a, an Arno or an Eastwood and showing I, I love that all the electrothermally enhanced guns are, are named after the, the big action stars of the eighties. Yep. The Stallone, the Bronson, the Eastwood, and the Arno. That that little things like that. I, I just love the references. Because I mean, with these guns, you you're working with uh, API or DP. <coughs> you're you know who cares if you're wearing Metal Gear? I'm going to punch through that, and I'm going to cause severe damage to you. It's going to be a dirty, hairy moment. It is. Um, also, I want to mention the uh, the GA eleven twelve auto shotgun. I mean, there's your there's your shotgun minigun that uh, comes directly from Split Second with Rucker Hauer. When you absolutely positively have to kill every motherfucker in the room. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't have the supplement, it's uh, 400 rounds uh, with an 80 FRR rate of fire. <coughs> and it does 46 plus 4. It yeah, will kill. <laughs> it will kill. <laughs> it is... It is a 12-gauge minigun. I mean, it's Adam Smasher's favorite gun for anybody who's a video game fan. I was really actually disappointed that he didn't use that in the video game. Hmm. Well, speaking of Adam Smasher, there's actually an article later in, in the book that um, Smasher wrote, <coughs> which got into yeah, it's his- Borg Weapons. Uh, this book contains Adam Smasher's first appearance in, in the 2020 uh, universe. Was it this one, or was it... I thought it was... Uh... Well, maybe. Because I'm trying to think what supplements he was in. Uh, he was in this and the Firestorm books, and this definitely yeah. came before the Firestorm books. Yeah, it did. I thought he was in another one. Anyways, that's wraps up. Uh, wraps. I mean, up. he's mentioned in this book twice. He's mentioned like they talk. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that yeah. as we come across it. Um, so that wraps up uh, Bubba and JT's little segment, uh, and then we get to the most OP uh, shit <laughs> in Cyberpunk game, and that is bows. Good lord, they're they're just destroyers. Oh my god! I had to rework them for IU because they were so. I've never well, had a player use a bow until my recent campaign, and one of the players said, oh, I'm carrying a bow. I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, oh, yeah, I do 5d6 or 66, uh, 66, and armor is a quartered. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's silent. Yeah, and it's silent. I'm like... Whoa, 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 whoa
this is something I've never read before. Um, oh yes, yeah. I've had I've had a couple of characters in my games use bows, and they just ah, here's the devastating. here's the arrow, broadhead arrows, and I'm going to quote from scripture here. Um, the head consists of two or more razor sharp blades. Acts as knife for armor penetration, which means SP is halved for soft armor. Damaged is doubled if it penetrates. <laughs> they are so OP in this book. It's ridiculous. Uh, what, wait, you're doing 66? And if the guy's wearing soft <laughs> armor, that means you're doing damage doubled? And even if it's not soft armored, which means they get full SP, you're doing 66. <clears throat> so you're definitely yeah. penetrating with one or one to plus damage, and that damage is then doubled. Holy Christ. Yeah, uh, this is written by a really big fan of like Rambo and like the Green Arrow Longbow Hunters. I, I mean, I'm s sorry. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> but the truth is, is, I mean, bows are fucking powerful in that. Uh, they are. are armor and. But... Uh, no. <laughs> they're this powerful, but yeah, they're. They're devastating. Yeah. So, so if you go with uh, r rules as written, um, and you have overpowered players, have some gangers who are. I don't know, uh, the Lost Boy Gang, in which they have bows and arrows, and Amen. just go up and mess up those players hardcore. Because when they get that type of broadhead arrow shoved into them, like, oh yeah, you take this and your armor is quartered, plus you take double damage. What the hell? They're going to be fearing for their lives against anybody with bows and arrows. But yeah, the, 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 these rules are just pretty outrageous. You can add, uh, you can get an auto loader for the crossbow. A friend of mine made a mini crossbow that uh, one of my one of my first players that you know mini folding crossbow. You just whip that out and almost treat it like a handgun at that point. Um, string silencers, like I said, uh, sights, stabilizers. I mean, there's, there's, you can trick out your bow as well as you can any gun. And people were up in arms against eat, you know, electrothermal. Yeah, that's because they, they like, bypass this. The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they bypass this <laughs> section. It's like and just destroy your fucking game, man. <clears throat> um, so then we get into the next chapter of Jersey Witherspoon's Dead on Target, uh, in which they talk about the Russia and, uh, and the sequel article, which is Red Squares, goes into, uh, Russia as well as a conflict area, um, and really gets into a little bit more about that area, the Eastern Bloc, <clears throat> which I think the European uh, Eurosource Plus uh, 
had a little bit about, but yeah. I think this really expanded a lot more. The first article, Love and Bullets from Moscow, appeared in the original Solo of Fortune, and then they did, like, the Red Squares is the sequel that they added in. Like I said, he went back and, and wrote another article. Yep. definitely a good read it i really enjoy it 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 uh it provided inspiration for both you know my glass road campaign and eventually i, I like it. it it there's inspiration in the back of my head i want to do like an eastern europe source book because russia doesn't really get covered like in any great detail anywhere you've got this and you've got the uh solve oil section of Court book two, mm -hmm. um, and that's really all you get, other than a few brief mentions here and there. So uh, I don't know if that will ever actually materialize or not. But yeah, it's, that's always been stewing in the back of my head. It also gives you some kind of uh, plot hooks, right, in which they. <clears throat> give a general description of a mission, who the employer is, what kind of support you'll get, who who are the enemy. Um, and they don't frame it as like a, a hook, but it definitely is. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's the way Artalsorian does it. Like, uh, sure, they'll put out some, some adventure books every now and then, but most of their... Most of the time, they just throw you out this little idea of a seed, and sometimes the idea is more drawn out, like in this case, or in Never Fade Away, and other times it's just a little, like, newspaper-type blurb. But that's that was the way they did most of their, uh, like, adventure ideas. It's just, here, here's the thing, do with it what you will. Yep. And, of course, the article ends with uh, various Soviet... Uh, vehicles, mostly tanks and uh, one helicopter. <coughs> um, so, again, high scale, small, or sorry, large to small scale uh, military actions uh, definitely has gives you guys uh, some resources to use, as it were. It's a it's a it's a nice bookend to. Uh the home of the brave military, you know, section, um, man, that MI 32 hitter helicopter looks cool. And again, what we've just talked about, uh, we're barely over halfway through the book. So again, it just amazes me at some of these books and how much detail they put in. Uh, to each book, um, and and again, most of it's lore stuff, but there is nuggets of of good equipment and good uh, mechanics and other things that you can use in your game. Um, but just the the background kind of gives you that inspiration on what you can do with a campaign. So. The next chapter is American Angels, which is the top 10 solos of America. Yes, sir. Some names that are missing. Rogue, who's supposed to be the best solo in Night City. 
Yeah, you second would... only to second only to Morgan. So you would think her name would be in this list? Nope. Um, it's missing Gokanawa from Land of the Free, the Arasaka corporate ninja. Yep. It's missing Adam Smasher, who supposedly is the antithesis of Morgan, which you would think <coughs> somebody who's the uh, antithesis of uh, Morgan Blackhand would also be one of the best solos. It does have Shiten, who uh, makes his first appearance in this book. Um, so there is that. Yeah. Uh, Boa Boa Whalen. He is in this book. So if you played 2077, you see his kid. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird to me that he's such a, he became such a big presence in, in the 2020 canon when his first appearance was, uh, oh, Damn it! What's the name of that book? He was in the the corporate one of the corporate books for Militech, wasn't it? Was he? I thought he came from or Lazarus. Uh, oh, because he was part. Oh no, he was part of Petrochrem. Was he? I, I thought he came from the water, water leopards. Oh, what is the name of that? Oh, it's going to drive me crazy. Um, Green Berets. I thought he came from Green Berets. I don't know. Well, Green Beret wasn't Green Berets uh, Atlas. Yeah, that's why I thought it was. That's why I've always thought it was weird. I do um, not have. But this. if he came from the sport books. Uh, yep, he came from uh, Petrochem. He's one of the okay. water leopards. Captain yeah, Andrew Wayland. Andrew Wayland leads one of the most terrifying black ops units in the corporate world, the water leopards. The water leopards are a group of Jamaican mercenaries that freelance successfully for several years before hooking up with Angus Youngblood. Since Youngblood joined Petrochem, they have become part of the company's military force. Oh, well. Shut my mouth. That's twice now I've been wrong this week. Yeah. <clears throat> got into, uh, got corrected on uh, Twitter the other day um, on something we were just talking about. Uh, oh. Uh, for some reason, even though I've read and written in direct contradiction, my brain was under the uh, impression that Israel had been wiped out during the Middle East meltdown, and it, it had not. Nope. Uh, I don't know how I mean, it did I, not, I, because every single country yeah, around it was wiped that's out. Why, that's why in my head it was, even though I've written like like the African source book directly contradicts that. Uh, hell, my my glass road thing that I'm I'm working on directly contradicts that, uh, or, or doesn't contradict <coughs> it goes with that. But in my head, the information is all like, how the fuck would Israel possibly survive that? Seeing as how every one of the survey uh, surrounding countries would have their weapons, like if shit's going off anyway, they'd just pop off whatever they could at Israel just for the hell of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and again, it did. It didn't get really into too much. I can't pronounce that fucking word. Um, didn't get into too much detail of what the Mid Eastern meltdown was. Right? It talked about um, extremist groups deciding to go to war with the current governments of those Islamic nations. But to me, like you said, I mean, <clears throat> how would they not go against Israel first? Because, yeah, it just—I mean, it's it's Israel. Yeah. Or even with the the nuclear destruction that happened in the Middle East, there would be fallout. I maybe I yeah need to look I at mean, the weather weather patterns and see how you know the wind blows in that region. But I would assume that there would be some fallout that would have continued on into uh israel i mean that's that's one of the reasons that it took me uh, so long to like even start because you know just trying to determine like how much damage would happen to the surrounding areas if it's really that bad uh yeah the the whole glass road thing has been a really intimidating project for me um which is why there's like like progress on it takes so very long. Right. <clears throat> um, also in this list is the uh, state executioner of NorCal. Which was nice to see that she made the list. I don't know how nice it is. I've always thought she was kind of a cheesy character. Um, I love Judge Dredd. I, I love that they tried to incorporate that idea somewhat, but I don't know. The idea of this chick running around like executing criminals. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was just weird to me to see her in here as one of the top 10 best, but I can live with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, of course, number one was uh, Morgan. I'll, I'll just read the top 10. <clears throat> uh, so first you have Joshua Kay, who's a bodyguard assassin. Um, didn't seem very impressive that. Yeah. Uh, Vicky. I guess that's how you pronounce the name. Political activist and bodyguard. Uh, Russian. Uh, Susan Forrest, of course, the wonderful uh, state executioner. Shetan, the freelance anti-corporate. Yeah, I, it's one of those names. Like I grew up always calling him uh, Shaitan, but in the in the video game they're like Shaitan, and it just like ugh, sounds weird to me. Like when the, it's like in the anime when they pronounce it San Deviston and San instead of San San Deviston. Yeah. <laughs> you also have Racer uh, Chiba, who is an ACPA trooper. I don't know if I would consider um, an ACPA a s- classified. I mean, that's so the their entry is like we don't know if we would consider this fair, but we're putting them in here anyway. Yeah, for me, it would be like okay, so you're going to include you know AV pilots and tank pilots and <clears throat> anyways, uh, Jenny Flex bodyguard. Um, apparently, she's a American sweetheart, but not really. Yeah, it's 
it's actually the whole thing is kind of a weird article. Um, John Jones, a Manhunter. Oh yeah, which is a reference to DC Comics Martian Manhunter, who apparently does not exist and is very low key. Lance Rock, the so or Euro Solo, it looks like. <coughs> um, looks very debonair, at least in the the image that they gave him. But he actually had a, a long biography uh, compared to the others. Yeah. Um... Kind of a weird one. Uh, like I said, th- this whole article is just kind of weird. Mm. Um, then you have Boa Boa, which of course we talked about. And then finally, Morgan Blackhand, which again, he gets what, two paragraphs of descriptions. Um, well, yeah, but he's been, you, you get plenty of information on Morgan from other places. Uh, then there's uh, <coughs> another uh, advertisement for Tsunami Arms. Again, more fun weapons. Another pistol with a rate of fire of three, which of course we talked about. But but it's a low caliber yeah. ET gun, which was very interesting. This is a disappointing ad for me because there's no there's no art mm-hmm. other than the company logo. Um, I like I like seeing the art. And then we get into Mr. Smasher's article, Destroy All Flesh. Which we get a fantastic image. Um, this is definitely a Gerardo image. Uh, you get to see his, his auto shotgun. He's he's super badass. Yeah. And he's uh Basically talking about Borg weapons, uh, also his own personal life. Um, there's one quote in here. Oh, this is where they actually introduced recoil factor, uh, which basically yeah. meant if you didn't have a certain level of body, you were going to get hurt by shooting a weapon. Yeah, and that comes in very handy. No more like BOD 4s shooting electrothermally enhanced handguns without consequence. There was one quote I really liked about him in this that I quoted recently. Where is it? a fun one just because it's so <clears throat> oh of course of course life as a true board isn't just mowing down civilians despite my my best wishes you can <laughs> that hello is... hello I can hear you man I got cut off there for a second I uh, phone had a um, pick up the other thing in this article, besides the Borg weapons it introduced, um, is the martial arts Panzerfaust, <clears throat> which is a combat yeah. technique to basically obliterate uh, the Borgs. And, and it's players. a reference to uh, Gunnam, aka Battle Angel Alita's Panzerkunst. Yeah. 
Um, and if you read these Borg weapons, they are freaking heinous. Um, yeah. And they require a minimum body of at least 10 or more. So don't let your well, players I... pick the weapon up and say, oh, I'm going to be able to shoot this. No, read. <laughs> read the description of all the weapons before you allow a player to pick, a, pick one of these things up. They are weapons specifically designed to be used by full conversions or powered armor against full conversions or powered armor. They are not they are not messing around at that stage. Definitely. Um, and again, the, the whole article is written in Adam Spencer's point of view. So there's a lot of a lot of wackiness. Vile, dark. Yeah, violent, uh, inhumane wackiness. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a good read. Gerardo was very, like, back to that art, uh, he was very influenced by, like, Adam Warren and Shiro, uh, yeah. and it really comes through in his art. Mm. Yeah, with the shadows of the background combat going on, and yeah, the motion <clears throat> blur that he's down like that's straight up Adam Warren. Yeah. Uh, as we move into the next section, combat and security cyber forms, we see a picture of an eight from John Hoops. John Hoops is very obviously. Uh, inspired by Arthur Adams. I mean, that's straight up his style right there mm -hmm. that he's uh, going for. Yeah, so um, this is taking... Um, did this come out before or after Chrome 3? Because that's where the pet rules came into effect. Uh, I want to say... After, mm. um, but I could be <coughs> wrong on that. Well, let's let's find out really quick. Let's see when was this put out? Um, that text is so tiny. I know in our old eyes we can't see shit. So Chrome 3 came out in 94. Oh, I want to say this came out in 95, 96, but I could I be guess wrong. it did come out after. So again, this stats out some uh, security models of the various pets. We're going to assume that it's using the rules from Chrome 3. Um... Is there anything in the article in which it says Chrome 3? I don't think I saw one, but I could be wrong. Trying to get back to where we're at. Yeah. So the, the cyber forms, it does provide, it gives you a um, 100 series... Uh, which is basically the ape. Uh, it also gives you a cyber pack, 
cyber cat model <clears throat> as well as a police dog um, they picture a shark but I don't think they stat the shark out so that is something you're gonna have to create on your own and yes the shark looks like it has a freaking laser beam on the top of its head it predated Austin Powers yes so. oh uh, well, I mean, Josh Hoops gives dates for all his art, and it's all 1994, so... Oh, same year. <coughs> uh, there we go with that. Yeah, there's no stats for the shark. Yep. Um, the next chapter is Cyberwalks, or Cyberwalkers, which basically turned or gave rules for your maximum metal vehicles to have legs so you could create mecha um yeah um not necessarily a cpa it's a little bit bigger uh granted I the mean, sizes are a bit limited votoms style mechs uh It, it, it was a weird addition. I I, I created some for my uh, military catalog, but they look cool. I don't know how useful they'd actually be. Uh, I guess on some rough terrain, they'd be they'd yeah. be able to cross rough <coughs> terrain, but trees and whatnot would definitely hamper them. Well, it also depends on how how powerful they are, right? Um... And I can see. I mean, in the game where you've got ACPA, these are not far fetched. Uh, if, in fact, they actually make a little bit more sense, as much as I love ACPA. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they work within the within the context of the game. Yeah, I, I don't think you would see these in open terrain or even city fighting. I see them more geared towards, like you said, rough terrain, which means mountainscapes or, or terrain that doesn't have any various roads and, and vehicles are just useless. <coughs> like a rebel base being out in the mountains. Um, if you need ordinance to get out there, you're going to put it in a cyberwalker and go for a little jog up the mountainside. Yeah. Uh, the next section is again more towards uh, maximum metal. However, this time it's uh, ET with uh, vehicle weaponry. So, yeah, when uh, just when you think things can't get more ridiculous, they're electrothermally enhancing like 140 millimeter cannons because 24 D10 AP just. I mean, sometimes you got to take out a battleship. Sometimes you do. Or several buildings. <clears throat> or you want your gun to shoot through a school. Johnny, De Johnny Dangerously <laughs> referenced. I was thinking the exact same thing. When you positively have to shoot through the school to get to your target, there's a weapon for it. 
Um, but yeah, so it kind of expands that because I'm sure with E.T. people were like, oh, well, if this shell has a chamber, therefore it can be E.T. according to the rules because it's cased weapons. <coughs> um, but yeah, then you have the, the inclusion of a rail gun, which trumps them all. Mm. Um, and then finally, a showcase. Uh, is this? I think we're getting close to the end. We're at eleven pages left. Uh, we get into more vehicles because we all love our vehicles, don't we? Uh, wisdom. We do. I mean, we very definitely do. And this section contains my favorite motorcycle in all of 2020 lore. Because it has wings. Uh, the official material. Uh, the Bell Sandpiper. I fucking love that thing. Which part do you love? The wings in the front or the uh, wheels that will jut out when you're making a turn? I like the recumbent part with a roof. Uh, the wheels and the wings are just icing on the cake, but yeah, it's uh, it just looks so cool to me. Like it's as close, it's like a cross between the Akira motorcycle and the Tron motorcycle. Okay, which are the two coolest motorcycles in in science fiction history? Um, they also have a nice little mini tank, which kind of reminds me of. Uh... Was it um, tank Dominion domain? Tank Police? Yeah. Dominion Tank Police. Uh, that's. I'm pretty sure that's very specifically what it's supposed to reference. Um, <clears throat> the fact that it's got the little female pilot next to it. Yeah. That is very definitely a, a Dominion Tank Police reference. Uh, and then you have an ad for a Law Dog remote which I don't think is the same as a, a cyber form because I think this is mostly, uh, I think they took this from interface, or, right? Yeah, but I think this is closer to the, uh, the police robot dog from protect and serve mm. or a combination of both what was in interface and, uh, and protect yeah. and serve. Uh, the, the cyber forms from above are very much more, at least as far as the images provided, they're very much more organic with basically animal cyborgs and updated cyber preds. Um, Whereas this... Go ahead. Oh, I was just... That was it. Well, I just... When when they put out the game stats, they get very... Very detailed. I can't say specific. Um... Very detailed in like their descriptions of the gear, uh, which always makes me wonder. Oh, where there the, the sounds too complex to not have rules behind it. Why isn't there? You know, yeah. where are these rules that they're using? It, it's written. It, it's very much <coughs> in a way that you're supposed to already know what they're talking about. Yeah, but then they don't give you the reference of what they're talking about. So. If you don't have, say, Chromebook 3 with this, uh, you're just kind of screwed. 
Because it, yeah, it, 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 there definitely should be more behind it. Yep. Uh, the next article is around cyberware. Um, specifically, when I read this, it, it seemed very geared towards the whole dehumanization that happens when you're installing cyberware. I think this is the article I was thinking about. It's it's very much flavor text with a little bit of a, a little bit of rules just kind of snuck into it. So it's a good little bit of fiction. Um, it also kind of touches on maintenance. Hmm. Uh, I would have preferred, I would have preferred it to go a lot more into cybernetic maintenance. That's that's one of the areas that they don't ever really touch on. Yep. Well, <clears throat> I thought they touched on it in Chrome three or four. I mean, a little <laughs> bit, but not to the uh, not the extent. You I would have liked to have seen like them fully flesh that out. Right. Um, and then we get into the the final article, which is the IPSC range review, which <coughs> kind of um, does a call back to the first uh, brief article, uh, which allows a GM, or sorry, I hate using GMs for Cyberpunk referee. Uh, the ability to actually play this out and have players actually do the course. Uh, it's it's a couple of pages worth of stuff that I mean it's nice. I, I don't know that I would spent this much effort on it, uh, but it's nice to have. It, it's it's a fun little scenario if you want to set up like a. Oh, what do they call them? Um, Hogan's Alley? Am I saying that right? Hogan's Alley? Uh, the the combat course that, you know, on gun ranges. I don't know. With the, the targets pop out. And right. Whatnot. It, it's some alley. I just don't remember what the first word is. Hmm. Well, I think you could use this as a background, right? Either they're supposed to go in and extract somebody or go in and meet a contact or, or some other mission that requires you to be part of this competition. Um, and again, it's, it's a uh, for me, it's, it's a, a trope that I've seen in other RPGs, right? Because I remember in Warhammer yeah. Fantasy Battle, <clears throat> in one of the adventures, basically this fair was going on. And the player characters could go in and do the various con contests that happened throughout it. Uh, and, of course, get experience and also build relationships with some of the NPCs that they would need later in the adventure. So you could do this similar to the, that with this. And I think even Witcher 3, I think Blood and Wine had this type of thing. And even in the... the the Cyberpunk 2077, you had 
a few competition scenarios. <clears throat> I mean, it's good to have. It's fun. Um, and it's this could also be something that the players have to achieve in order to get this pretty lucrative job, right? Sure. There are lots of ways you can integrate it into your into your game. Yeah, that's like um, an addition. It's a fun Um, and then finally is, uh, advertisements on, uh, various jobs. Some of the corporations are looking to hire. Yeah. And it's your classifieds that you see in the back of magazines or newspapers, whatnot. Yep. Um, or you would back in the days of magazines and newspapers. I know some of our younger readers might not know what those were. <laughs> Viewers, listeners, yep. whatever. And of course, the big two advertisers are Militech and Arasaka. So, well, of course, I, I like how they put a little blurb. There's a, a storm coming. <clears throat> Which, yeah, I'm wondering if they're hinting at. Well, the fourth corporate war didn't come up until '99, '98, um, uh, or even in yeah, early 2000. Like those are some pretty big, involved source books uh, campaigns, and yeah. obviously they had been working on them for quite some time. Yeah. So ninety-seven was when uh, Storm or Shockwave came out. So Stormfront would have been ninety-six. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah, it was. Two years, ninety-seven. Oh, they both came out in ninety-seven, or at least they were copyrighted in ninety-seven. <coughs> so that's three years. Pretty, two pretty years quickly after with one. any. Yeah, let's say about six months. So that's uh, my three years in is, advance. Yeah. So that's it for Solo of Fortune Two. Um. It's definitely a well well worth the money, I think, compared to Solo 1. This is definitely... So Solo 1 was for 2013, whereas Solo 2 was for 2020. Um, and I think you get a little more equipment. You get more Solo 2. for your buck with yeah. Solo Fortune. It's, a, it's, it's like double the size of Solo Fortune 1 as well. Yeah. Um, I, I I like this book. I always have, uh, especially if you run games at higher levels, it, it helps to be able to upscale the gear some. Um, it expands, you know, the maximum metal vehicle list. Yeah, what's not to love about this book? It also gives you the necessary weapons to beat the uh, players who decide to start propagating their armor. With pretty relatively easy ways of of defeating him, <laughs> just by electrothermal yeah, or, I mean, or bows, <laughs> just bows. Toward, toward the twenty twenty line, things definitely started scaling up um, as GMs kept complaining about you know players getting more and more powerful. So they here's a whole another bunch of toys where it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, 
And maybe that's just the natural progression of, of things. I don't know. Uh, it didn't ever really seem to be that big of a problem in the games I ran. But it, it's been a long-standing complaint that I've heard from other GMs and other referees. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've run many... I've run military campaigns and, like, C-SWAT campaigns and espionage campaigns. This is aided me greatly in those endeavors um yeah I, I i very much enjoy this book the fact that it's got ross on the cover every time i pick it up it's like coming back to an old friend yep now ross is very specifically supposed to be morgan blackhand so ross win is the face of of morgan blackhand the first live action face really yeah where did you hear that from? Ross himself? From Ross. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, then. Everyone heard it first. Um, I was hoping... Uh, well, <clears throat> yeah, I, that's interesting. So, so Little Fortune 2, the cover, that's Morgan Blackhand. It's very true. Well, we de then definitely need to get Ross on our channel. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, so that's it for this session, I think. Um, I am just looking at our scheduling right now. So, normally we do the second one or the, the second show of the month as a book review. Um, so if that's the case, we're going to be uh, reviewing live and direct. I know Edge Runner Review kind of screwed up our schedule, or at least our normal schedule. Um, so Edge Runner's the anime, Edgerding the source book. Yes. So last time we did the review of the the anime, and so on the nineteenth we will be doing uh, live and direct and start going over that book. Uh, November 2nd, uh, I still have to confirm again with, uh, Jay Gray, but we will be having Jay Gray on our show, um, Looking on, that. The, on uh, November 2nd, so we'll chop, talk a little shop about what's going on with our Telsorian present, um, get his, uh, his comments on the future and, and what we can expect and the cybernic, cyberpunk goodness that might be coming out. Uh, and then November also will have another book review of The Rocker Boy. Um, and then December, the first week will be on, and then we're going to take a bit of a hiatus for end of the year. So, <clears throat> got a few more, uh, few more episodes until uh, the end of the year, so. Let's see if we can get uh, Ross for December 7th. If not, we'll uh, hold off until the next year for that. I, I will talk to him about that, December 7th. Cool. Other than that, I don't think I have too much else to talk about other than to thank uh, Rob Mulligan and Cyber, Cyber Nation Uncensored Cyber <laughs> for, their, uh, for their support as well as giving us a 
a place to broadcast, so check them out, uh, CyberNationUncensored.com, Cyber, Cyber as well as their Discord. A uh, lot of things going on. Stay on this Twitch channel because I believe Rob has said there's going to be something every day of the week uh, from live play, play, not necessarily just Cyberpunk, uh, other game systems as well. Um, but Dune, Fallout, Dune, Fallout uh, uh, Blade Runner, I think uh, someone's doing a couple yeah. episodes of that. Um, a familiar Raven is actually going to be doing starting up a High Rider campaign, uh, I think later this month or beginning of next month. Um, I would like to hear that as well. Yeah, so you, you will be seeing that. So they're going to be doing a session zero. I want to say in the next couple of weeks. So that's going to be on this channel. Um, Capricious Nature runs a lot of games on this channel. Same with Rob. So by all means, come check them out. Uh, other than that, a come... lot of people and with Cyber Nation Uncensored, I tell you. Yep. Uh, other than that, you can find me on my little site called cybersmiley.net. That's Cybersmiley without the ending E. Uh, I got a bunch of utilities. I'm fixing bugs and putting out some uh, new enhancements to that site. Uh, <clears throat> I surf the various discords everywhere, and oftentimes I surprise people when they talk about my site and I chime in. Um, sometimes I think I I scare them that, to think I'm lurking around watching, always watching. Uh, I'm also uh, kind of not really active on Reddit, but I do read a lot of the uh, Cyberpunk 2020 and the Cyberpunk Red Reddits. Uh, I try to follow them, so I'm about, I just don't do uh, the major social medias. That's the only problem. Oh. I'm, I'm Wisdom. I do do the major social medias. Uh, Facebook, at least. I don't do... Facebook's really it. Um, you can get me on... You can uh, get me on my uh, site, um, Data Fortress 2020. Uh, you might find something on there to help or inspire you run Cyberpunk 2020, or just as a player. It's, it's good stuff. You should check it out. Uh, I also run a, a Facebook group called Data Fortress 2020 and Mod a Cyberpunk 2020 Facebook group. Uh, occasionally, I'll snipe a comment here or there on Reddit. Um, you can usually get a hold of me on any of those, plus our channel here on Cyber Nation Uncensored, where you can ask us questions, uh, leave comments, criticisms, whatever. Uh, we always like hearing from our, our fans. Uh We'd like to thank you all very much for, for listening in. You you guys make it worthwhile. Yeah. Oh, um, a familiar Raven just chimed in. Session Zero is next Friday, I believe, oh, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's 5 p.m. Pacific. That would be 7 p.m. Central. 7 p.m. Central. Uh, GMT, I think, is 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so, I try to remember some of that. And, like, if you're in IST, which is India time, uh, I know it's like ten and a half hours or nine and a half hours. So, 
I don't know how many Indian uh, fans we have out there, but I work with some of them, so I kind of know roughly their their time thing. I know it's like nine and a half hours, and it always has to be a half hour, which always screws my mind. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so that's it for this show. Uh, hope you all enjoy. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like, comment. I try to go back to these old sites and look at comments and try to answer to the comments. Um, just to keep. By all means, comment. Yes. Um, I just don't get alerts when you comment, so. It depends on when I come back and uh, take a look at the site. So, all right. Well, I guess that's it. So, till next time. Uh, take care, Chooms. Thank you.